welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. So this week's episode, we are going to look at a couple of different things. It's another kind of Illin Pipe-centric episode, although there's definitely some uh, whistles and, and other things going on in here. But we're looking at, uh, I'm going to begin by looking at Irish pipers that were active in Scotland, uh, neither of which are new to the podcast. I've definitely played through some of Richard Fitzmaurice's stuff before, and also John Murphy, but we're going to look some more at those collections. If you remember last season, I started playing through the various um, Fitzmaurice collections. Um, I only got through two of them, actually, before moving on to other topics. So this is number three, and uh, I kind of jumped out of order because we the gold ring shows up in number four, and so we never did number three. So here's number three, and uh, after playing Fitzmaurice number three and some concordant or uh, interesting kind of other versions of the tunes that show up in Fitzmaurice number three, we're going to play a couple tunes from John Murphy's collection of tunes, who's another Irish piper who lived and published in Scotland. Scotland in the first decade of uh, the 1800s, and then we'll go from there and kind of start a new project, because uh, obviously I always need more projects. Um, but yeah, Canon Goodman, who we've talked about and played a fair amount on the podcast here, he collected a number of tunes right in the mid-19th century, uh, kind of post-famine, uh, trying to record music before it's lost sort of thing is how it's remembered, and there's some just lovely music out there uh, from the Goodman Trio, uh, who we've also had on the podcast in the past. Um, but volume four of the Goodman Manuscripts begins with a pretty lengthy section that's just called Jackson's Airs. And so every tune in there is sort of attributed to Jackson, we assume, Walker Jackson, who is, you know, a tune uh, composer in the 18th century and kind of well-known gentleman piper. So I've been wanting to just put all of those in one place. So I'm going to start that with this episode. And I honestly underestimated how many interesting threads I would wind up pulling at. Uh, so this might wind up being kind of a long episode as consequence of, of that. So anyway, let's get started with uh, Fitzmaurice. So the first tune in uh, section number three of Fitzmaurice's collection is called the Munster Lassies. So remember Fitzmaurice published in, uh, well, Google Books thinks it's 1805. Uh, I know that that you know, it's sort of not 100% sure, but early 19th century anyway, whether it was 1805, 1810, something between there. Um, the collection of tunes is called Fitzmaurice's New Collection of Irish Tunes, adapted for the pianoforte, union pipe, flute, and violin. Uh, and it was published in Edinburgh by A. Rockhead and Son. Or Rockhead and Son? Rockhead and Son, Greenside Place? I don't know that I've seen anything else from Rockhead and Son. Something to keep my eye out for now. Uh, anyway, here is the Munster Lassie from Fitzmaurice.
were looking for other versions of this tune, it sort of makes sense that there would be some in Goodman, right? So Goodman did a lot of his collecting in Munster, uh, so tune with the Munster lass, it's going to be kind of popular. So uh, one version that's pretty similar, but a two-part setting from Goodman shows up as the Munster lass in Goodman Volume 3. So this is that one. So that was the Monster Lass from Volume 3. The Monster Lass in Volume 4 is back to that big kind of mammoth six-part version that fits Murray's head down as well. So here is the Goodman Volume 4 setting for the Monster Lass. And now back to Fitzmaurice after our brief detour there to Goodman. Uh, this is probably my favorite tune in the in number three of Fitzmaurice. It's the Lads of Fingal. And I couldn't find any other settings uh, for the Lads of Fingal. Maybe there's another name for it. Um, Fitzmaurice is kind of okay. Well, I mean, not okay. Fitzmaurice is pretty lucky in that the titles that he gives the tunes are often the same way that they're known today, um, but the Lads of Fingal doesn't seem to have translated to something I can find on traditional tune archive anyway. Uh, anyway, so here is the Lads of Fingal.
Yeah, just a lovely tune, the lads of Fingal. Fingal, I want to say Fingal. It's spelled with two L's in here, so I keep on stressing the Fingal, um, but I'm pretty sure it's Fingal. Anyway, uh, next, uh, the next one maybe has the best title of all the tunes in uh, Fitzmaurice number three. This is Turn the Pig from the Teapot. Kind of a fun little reel, and again, not a tune I could find anywhere else um, using traditional tune archive or some other sources, but lovely little tune. Fitzmaurice was just called Jig, and it took me a while to figure out uh, that Jig is just the Jig version of the preceding tune. So I, I guess that means we should call it the Churn the Pig Jig, uh, Churn the Pig from the Teapot as a Jig. But yeah, Churn the Pig Jig has a good ring to it, so that's what we'll call it. Anyway, uh, like I said, couldn't find other versions of either of these tunes on traditional tune archive. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. The Turn the Pig Jig. Anyway, uh, yeah, Turn the Pig Jig. Like I said, I had a hard time finding any other settings uh, for Turn the Pig from the Teapot, either on traditional tune archive or just searching around um, the National Library of Scotland. 
But what I will say, I forgot to mention something after playing it as a 2-4, playing it as a real or whatever, um, and that is that occasionally in Fitzmaurice's settings, um, he uses a low C, so he has that leading C note. So it makes me think that he played a set of pastoral pipes or a chanter that had that foot. So, you know, in the kind of development of Union or Irish pipes or Illin pipes, uh, for a good bit of time, there was an instrument that used an extended foot so that Island pipes had that leading note, just like a Highland bagpipe has the low G going into the scale. Uh, for a good bit of time, pastoral pipes or Island pipes kind of had that same footing, uh, or had a, had an extended foot so they could play that leading note. Nowadays, you can't really do it because um, we have shorter channers and don't have extended feet. But um, anyway, it's clear to me. It seems likely that Fitzmaurice did in the publishing of like number three this is the only tune in this edition that has that leading note but it shows up in some of his others as well so if you play a set of pastoral pipes and are lucky enough to have one of those feet um then yeah revisit Fitzmaurice because there's definitely some places to use it it's really rare um and turn the pig from the teapot it is in the b part only and it's just one kind of in the middle of one of those runs of 16th notes um Anyway, that uh, is from about a different tune. That's from Turn the Pig from the Teapot is a reel. Uh, there's no low C used in Turn the Pig Jig, so uh, uses it pretty sparingly. So I, the way that my kind of listening vocabulary works is, while I don't think there are any similarities between these two tunes, listening to Turn the Pig from the Teapot really reminded me of The Rose in the Gap, and it took me a long time to remember what the title of that tune was. So I'm just going to play it here for you, because it was driving me nuts for about an hour uh, until I could place it. Uh, when I first started playing Ellen Pipes, well, not even, um, I guess my first like album that I bought of Ellen Pipes, I think was a John McSherry album. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I bought either Trip Switch or Last Night's Fun or whatever that, that other one is called uh, and listened to them a ton and they've kind of fallen out of my listening repertoire at all. But Trip Switch begins with The Rose in the Gap and something about the way that um, the way that, that tune hits the Turn the Pig from the Teapot reminded, reminded me of it. Uh, anyway, so I went and recorded The Rose in the Gap. I'm going to play a setting from 1909. This is uh, from Reverend Donnellan's setting. Uh, it was part of an article that he published in Journal of the County Louth Archaeological Society. I'm supposed to know how to pronounce Louth or Luth, and I don't. Um, but anyway, it's, you know... It got uploaded to traditional tune archive as an ABC, and I went and looked at the JSTOR version of it, and there's a lot of cool tunes in that collection, uh, including the Mason's Apron, which I've kind of been meaning to do as an episode. So I think we'll wind up revisiting uh, Reverend Dunnellan in the future anyway. But this is a setting from 1909. I tried to pretty closely stick to Dunnellan's setting, although I'd be, you know, obviously I'm, I'm pretty influenced by um, John McSherry's playing of it, but it's it's a little bit different uh, anyway here is rose and gap
So when I was struggling to remember that tune, I um, I tried out Tune Pal, which I've not had a ton of luck with, honestly. Um, I don't know if anybody else has used Tune Pal, but it's a pretty great service um, where, like, I find really cool tunes on it, but uh, this is the first time I've kind of successfully found a tune <laughs> I was looking for on it. Um, but anyway, you, you know, it's a website, tunepal.org, and you just record uh, yourself playing, and then it'll search a database to figure out what tune you're playing. And it, you know, it gets stuff right some of the time. So in this example, I was playing Rose in the Gap. I was thinking of Rose in the Gap. I played Rose in the Gap. And it came back at me with, we think this is the Gay Lass. We have a 60%, <laughs> we're 60% sure this is the Gay Lass. And I looked at the Gay Lass and like, it's not the Gay Lass. But man, that first part is pretty close. Um, so it's interesting, right? So Rose in the Gap is, you know, it's either a hornpipe or a reel. I was playing it sort of as a reel, I suppose. Um, maybe a little swingy. And it, it shot back out the Gay Lass. Interestingly enough, the Gay Lass is that same tune, except as a jig. Um, but I didn't recognize, because I was playing it from memory, I didn't recognize all the different parts. So anyway, the interesting thing about the Gay Lass is that it is an O'Farrell tune. Um, so it certainly dates back to um, the second pocketbook companion as the Gay Lass, except it is, it's very recognizable as Rose in the Gap, except as a jig. Um, but you can see kind of the same strains and, and threads of it. Uh, I wound up going back and re-recording Rose in the Gap, because in... In the 1909 setting, there's no repeats, and that sounds weird to me. Um, the very end of it, there's kind of, you can't really make out what Don Allen was writing. I think it says or, and maybe there's a couple dots there for a repeat. Um, but I just I just added repeats in at the double bars anyway when I had recorded it first time. And then when I looked at O'Farrell setting, it had the same thing, where there was no repeats throughout the whole tune except for the very last line. Um, so that's what I did. I wound up re-recording it, not doing the repeats except for the last part, even though there's no, like, receiving dots on the, like, there's no repeat marker at the beginning of the last part, but there's one at the end of it, which I'm not sure if that's, like, music theory-wise, that means I'm supposed to play the whole thing over again. Kind of throughout this whole process, I've been kind of flexible about treating these publications as, like, mm, you know, how does this make sense to me musically? And this is... I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional about my actions that way. Um, so I'm just telling you kind of why I did what I did. Um, anyway, here's the Gay Lass from O'Farrell's Pocket Companion, which is clearly Rose in the Gap, as we'd recognize it today, except as a jig. And honestly, the more I listen to it, the Rose in the Gap and the Gay Lass, the more I kind of see the similarities between Churn the Pig from the Teapot, from Fitzmaurice. Like, it's definitely a different tune, but there's some stylistically things... I don't know. There, maybe, maybe it's not so so different after all. Anyway, here's the gay lass.
All right, time to switch gears over to the other Irish Piper active in Scotland, uh, this time John Murphy. So likely John Murphy's collection was published a couple years after Fitzmaurice's. Uh, it's called A Collection of Irish Airs and Jigs with Variations, adopted for the pianoforte, violin, and violoncello. Um, Murphy's stuff is weird. I love it. It's very weird, though. Um, a lot of things in kind of different keys, a lot of things uh, with different titles that we know it as otherwise, where he's clearly naming things for benefactors and people he's performing for a lot. Uh, so I'm not going to do a ton of these tunes. Uh, I still don't quite know what to make of Murphy. It is interesting, though. It's published around 1810, and it's uh, published by Gow and Shepard. Uh, I can't really make out a location. I assume that means it's in Edinburgh. It's supposed to be had uh, at Gowan Shepherd. Um, so being sold by by whatever Gowan Shepherd kind of music sellers are. Anyway, I assume that is the Gow family uh, that published a lot of things as well. Uh, anyway, we're just going to play a couple tunes from Murphy. Uh, I keep thinking I'll do another big long look into Murphy. Just there's a lot of Jackson tunes in there that I'm kind of interested in. Uh, but we're going to start with uh, this tune called The Kilkenny Girls. Uh, it's a 6-8. Um, he has it in here as uh, playing it moderato. Anyway, here's The Kilkenny Girls from John Murphy. Yeah, lovely tune, um, the Kilkenny Girls, but uh, can't find any other versions of it, any other places where it exists. Um, but yeah, lovely tune. Maybe it has a different name. Like I said, John Murphy does a lot of renaming tunes, uh, kind of just naming them after people. So the tunes that are about, you know, um, a, a genre or a place or that kind of thing, I think are probably going to be more conventional. So the Kilkenny Girls, I assume, isn't him renaming a tune that's better known as something else, but maybe it is. If you recognize that tune as something else, let me know. Um, it's kind of hard to do much reverse engineering of it, too, because there's another tune that maybe you've heard. It seems to be pretty popular called the Kilkenny Girl. Um, here, I'll play that one. Um, and you'll hear it's it's definitely a different tune, but this is from uh, Francis O'Neill's uh, Music of Ireland from 1903, The Kilkenny Girl. Mm-hmm. 
one of the reasons I wanted to look at the Kilkenny girl is, you know, because it would cause some confusion uh, of the Kilkenny girls. But it's also interesting to me that tune shows up in um, the UK as well. So it shows up in the Rook manuscript, which is kind of one of the important uh, sources for Northumbrian small piping and kind of border piping in general. Um, but yeah, in Rook's manuscript from the 1840s, it's called Woman's Dance. Um, it's not a friendly, uh, it's not friendly, <laughs> it's not friendly to Highland Pipers or Scottish Small Pipers, but it would fit on other things. Uh, anyway, here is Woman's Dance from the John Rook manuscript. just love a good rook tune but uh yeah woman's dance cool cool setting for it um for kilkenny girl anyway go back to john murphy here uh i want to play another one from him uh this is called take care of my cap so this is murphy's setting and there are some we'll look at uh, another setting as well but anyway here is john murphy's take care of my cap funky little tune. Um, so this one, I went looking for concordances and found another setting for it, um, published around the same time, probably around 1818, so a couple years later. Interestingly, um, a lot of the other settings of this tune, Take Care of My Cap or um, Ladies Take Care is also kind of how it is titled sometimes. But um, this other version that I have of it from uh, John Hall's collection, a uh, selection of Strathspeys, Reels, Waltzes, and Irish Jigs, uh, published in Edinburgh in 1818. It is uh, very similar, except the opening phrase goes down an octave. So it's, you know, like it goes well beneath the scale. And there's a couple notes like that in Murphy too that, that went down below. I had to kind of fudge in order to get correct. And it's not a situation where 
um, Murphy had a footed chanter, and so he could go down that low because it's it's notes that are well below uh, Ellen Pipe range. Um, interestingly enough, with this John Hall setting, the it, it, so Murphy says uh, says you should play this uh, on Dantiano, and John Hall says you should play this slowly, <laughs> and. It feels weird to play it slowly. I followed the rules or followed the instructions and I played a little slowly, but yeah, it's, uh, it don't feel right. Uh, the other interesting thing about this and why it's a good segue, uh, kind of into the next tune we're going to look at is, uh, according to Hall, Hall attributes this tune to Jackson. And there are a lot of tunes in Hall's collection that he attributes to Jackson, but, uh, this is the only one I know of, like, that's the only place for it. But it's interesting to me to look at these early 19th century settings, you know, that are only, you know, 50, I mean, they're not, they're, they're less than, you know, there may be like one or two generations after Walker Jackson passed away that they're attributing tunes to him, which feels a little safer than the Goodman, Goodman ones, which are, you know, very long after, well, I guess not that much longer, 1860 versus 1818. But, uh, anyway, so take care of my cap might be a Jackson tune, might not be. There's lots and lots of tunes attributed to Walker Jackson that, like he probably didn't write, but maybe he did. Uh, these earlier ones I always feel a little bit better about. Anyway, here is Take Care of My Cap from John Hall. But again, I had to do some in creative re-scoring because of the octave drop. And also I'm playing it slowly because that's what it says.
Yeah, I don't know. Slowly-ish, I guess, is how I played that. Definitely going to look some more at John Hall's uh, settings. Pretty cool stuff. I don't think I've ever played him on the podcast before. All right, let us do the final stretch. Um, well, the final like chunk of the podcast, um, probably the biggest chunk of tunes, uh, is the first 10 tracks from uh, Jackson's Heirs. So, you know, Goodman's manuscript has recently been republished in two volumes of Tunes from the Munster Pipers, I think is what it's called. It's published by ITMA. I'm sure it's a lovely collection. I've never looked at it. I've only looked at the manuscripts, which um, ITMA is kind enough to host. And I love it. They're great. You know, Goodman has a beautiful hand and playing through kind of his own notation uh, just brings me a lot of joy. So I don't I don't know. One of these days, I'll probably get the Munster Pipers books just to, to get the liner notes and things. But uh, you can look through the, the original manuscript stuff. And volume four begins with a selection of tunes that Goodman attributes to Jackson. And so that's what I want to do is kind of look through that. So we're going to start in chronological order. And number one is Horse in the Pound. So here is Ken and Goodman's setting from around 1860 or so of Horse in the Pound. So Goodman recorded uh, Horse in the Pound probably in the 1860s or sometime along those lines, which I think is sort of after the pastoral foot is terribly in vogue. It might have still been around. I only bring it up because um, there is a low C in this. So Horse in the Pound does have a, a low C in it. Um, much like that Fitzmaurice tune. So uh, the place it would go is in the first part and in the second, uh, the A part and the B part. So... That's supposed to drop down. Um, so anyway, so it is there. It's it's in a couple other places too, um, but I think it works just fine without it, obviously. Um, so I don't know. Jackson is trying to look through the like. So Jackson published his own collection of tunes in 1774, and just doing a quick look through of those, the ones that I'm going to play on the episode today, he doesn't use a low C, but that doesn't mean he doesn't do it ever. In fact, I kind of think he does in, um, yeah, Jupiter, uh, Jackson's Humors of Pacin. He uses a low C, um, and he uses it in Kamalum too, I think. No, he doesn't. I just didn't like the way that sounded on Ellen Pipes. <laughs> anyway, but it does show up uh, very sparingly in his uh, collection of um, celebrated Irish tunes, except for this tune, Jackson's Bowner Boffer. Still don't know what that tune means, but there's a pretty, it's a pretty important 
uh, pretty important low C's in that tune. Uh, anyway, so I think it is likely Jackson, you know, he published this in 1774. He is an, an Irish piper when uh, pastoral uh, chanters and pastoral pipes were still very much the norm. So uh, likely had it. Um, it's interesting to me that Goodman still has it there. So I don't know if that means that I'm more likely to believe that Horse in the Pound is a Jackson tune or not. When I was looking at it, um, the traditional tune archive kind of rabbit hole that Horse in the Pound led me on uh, made me decide just not to do anything because there's too much to do. Uh, might get a whole episode kind of looking at it. Kind of interestingly, this tune has quite a few older settings in Goodman. Couldn't find any others that were attributed to Jackson, but it didn't look super hard. But there no, uh, the name comes up as Humors of Dublin. Um, and some other names too, but it actually shows up in, in the Rook manuscript again, and in Gow, and in uh, McCloshan. So, like, this is a tune that is all over Scotland, as well as it being in Goodman's kind of recording around Munster. Uh, anyway, let's go on to the next tune. This is one that is still quite popular uh, in kind of Irish music today. Uh, this is called Jackson's Trip to the Garret, Trip to the Garret. Uh, it's also known as Jackson's uh, Kiss in the Garret um, by other folks, but. Anyway, here is Trip to the Garret. Like I said, that tune is quite recognizable um, to people as Trip in the Garret or Up to the Garret or whatever. Um, all right, let's go on to the next one. Uh, this is also from Goodman. This is Made at the Fair. this one i'm pretty confident well i'm confident this is a tune that jackson was very familiar with um but it gets recorded as jackson's made at the fair back in o'farrell's pocket companion in 1806 um jackson himself actually recorded this one and his setting for this tune is so superior to all of them i'm kind of i'm going to go in reverse chronological order so we're going to do we just heard goodman's now we're going to do o'farrell's setting for jackson's made at the fair and then we'll finish up with jackson Thank you. 
Yeah, so that was O'Farrell setting for Jackson's Made at the Fair. It's really interesting to me. I think O'Farrell setting is just slightly better than Goodman. I kind of like the the second part of O'Farrell better than the second part in Goodman. But yeah, Jackson's own setting for this tune. The reason I'm not confident that he wrote this is that he didn't call it Jackson's. And Jackson definitely, like, I don't know what to make of that. I never know what to make of the Jackson tunes. I feel like if he says it's Jackson's Morning Brush, there's a part of my brain that thinks, oh, he's saying this is Jackson's version of Morning Brush, um, and it's not a tune that he wrote. So then the tunes that he published that he didn't call Jackson's feel like, oh, well, those are probably the original ones, but I'm not sure. Anyway, um, Jackson called this tune not Maids at the Fair. He called it Pither in Enough. Um, and like I said, his version is way cooler to me than the others that we've heard so far. Um, it's a three-part still, but um, yeah, I think the the second part is superior and the third part is superior. And it's sort of nice. He's got, he actually has embellishments or trills noted on the setting for it as well. I didn't necessarily follow those to the T, but I tried to include them where they were written. So anyway, here is Jackson's own setting from 1774 from his uh, celebrated Irish tunes. This is Pitherin Enough. Such a good tune. I didn't quite do it justice, so I'm just going to do a quick run through. Um, in the first, in the first part, the trill is just right away in the beginning, and then that's the only one. The second part, there's quite a few more of them, so I'll really exaggerate them here. shine is in that third part. So this is where they go. And 
not sure that that was actually necessary, but in case any of you uh, learned by ear and wanted to nail those things better than I just did. Uh, anyway, let's move on next to Jackson's easily kind of the most famous tune and one that he published himself as well, uh, and that's Morning Brush. So Goodman just has it as Morning Brush. Pretty much everyone else on the planet calls it Jackson's Morning Brush. Uh, and I think Goodman did too. He just had Jackson's Airs section, like that that was the title. <laughs> so none of these tunes have Jackson on them in the titling because Goodman already wrote Jackson, I think is what is going on. Anyway, here is uh, Goodman setting for Morning Brush. Jackson's Morning Brush shows up in dozens, if not more, sources from the 18th century. Uh, I'm just going to skip all those, and we're just going to hear Jackson's own setting for the tune. different. Uh, I really like, um, I mean, it's only three parts rather than four, which is what Goodman had, uh, but I really like the addition of those uh, 16th notes, like kind of those little trills, those runs, um, especially in the uh, second part there, uh, and right at the end. Anyway, uh, good stuff. Let's move on to Jackson's Grog uh, from Goodman. Thank you. 
Yeah, cool tune. Uh, kind of shocking that there's not more tunes called Grog. Um, and a little bit shocking that there's not more uh, tunes kind of related to it. I'm not seeing any other uh, concordances or lists of other tunes or anything. But uh, anyway, Grog. I said Jackson's Grog, but of course, like I said, Goodman didn't put Jackson in front of any of these things. So just Grog. All right, and next, let us go on to Thought. Is what it's called. Uh, this tune has a very big entry and lots of connections in traditional tune archive. It's pretty recognizable as Cherish the Ladies or Wallop the Ladies, uh, Capper's Jig, uh, Humors of Ennis Des Moines. Uh, anyway, um, it's around. There's lots of different settings for it. I couldn't I didn't really see any in my quick glancing that are older than Goodman's, uh, but they very well might be. But we're just going to play the Goodman setting of Thought. Yeah, that's a really good tune. Uh, looking around, uh, the traditional tune archive entry for Cherish the Ladies is worth your time. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. It is interesting in um, the Musician's Omnibus uh, from How, which I went looking for earlier today and couldn't find really like anything that wasn't an ABC version of it. But it's published around the same time as Goodman's Manuscript is from, 1866. And I don't know, this is in the traditional tune archive entry, so... Like take it with a grain of salt as an ABC notation, but that version of Cherish the Ladies actually has it attributed to Jackson. Uh, whether how did that or whoever entered the ABC notation, I'm not 100% sure. But uh, anyway, lots of interesting connections there. Uh, let's look at the next tune here, and that is Jig. It's just called Jig. Love a tune called Jig. Um, this appears to be uh, a tune also known as Jackson's Stranger, uh, which is how it shows up in uh, O'Farrell's manuscript, or O'Farrell's uh, Pocket Companion uh, number three. But anyway, uh, Goodman just has it as Jig. Thank you. 
Yeah, not the uh, cleanest version of a tune I've ever done. Um, but yeah, definitely a tune that dates back to Jackson's lifetime. Whether or not he wrote it or not, I don't know. Like I said, O'Farrell has it supposedly as Jackson Stranger, although I went looking for it and couldn't find that. But he definitely has it as Apples in Winter in his national uh, music for the Union Bagpipes. So O'Farrell's kind of first publication. Uh, interestingly, it also shows up with another Jackson name, uh, Jackson's Growling Cat. Um, but that is just kind of recorded in a Dr. H.S. Coran's um, kind of some manuscript that uh, Brendan um, Brennack looked at. So, uh, I don't know, lots of names for it. Fruit for the ladies, Longford Jig, Rise for the Grouse, um, lots of things, but we're not going to play all those. Um, probably could pull a thread at this tune, it would go forever. Uh, anyway, so let's move on to the next tune in Goodman's collection, which is Nightcap. Yeah, not, not my best playing there. Um, in my defense, I'm currently working on a set for my next album that includes Jackson's own setting for Jackson's Nightcap, which he calls Jackson's Nightcap, uh, and it is so much better uh, that it's really hard to play a Goodman setting. Uh, this is another tune that shows up all over the stinking place, uh, often attributed to Jackson. It's in Aird's uh, collection, Volume 3. It's in O'Farrell. It's in, um, like I said, uh, Goodman, or... Um, Jackson published it himself too. So uh, anyway, we're just going to listen to Jackson's own setting because this is already kind of a long episode. So here is Jackson's 1774 setting for Jackson's Nightcap.
I mentioned it on uh, one of the episodes last season where I was playing through Jackson's Celebrated Irish Airs or Irish Tunes or whatever, um, how whenever James Aird has a Jackson tune that Jackson also published, it seems note, it's like note for note the same to the point where I think Aird just had a copy of Jackson's Celebrated Irish Tunes and copied them into his book, uh, which would certainly make sense. And that was the case uh, with Jackson's Nightcap as well. Uh, but everybody else's settings, uh, they suck a little bit compared to Jackson's own setting. Um, I don't know why I would think it would be some other way, but it sort of feels like, well, Jackson would put a tune out there and people would improve on it if it lasts a really long time. But its he's a heck of a piper, that Walker Jackson. He's got some good tunes going on, and the adjustments that people make to them... You know, a lot of times tunes get better over years of people playing them, and I don't think that's the case with Jackson's Jackson's tunes. It seems like they kind of get dumbed down a little bit. At least this tiny selection of tunes that he wrote himself and published uh, are clearly, in my opinion anyway, they're the superior settings for the tunes. Uh, anyway, let's move on to uh, the next tune in this collection, which is Welcome Home from Goodman. So this tune is around a lot as well. I'm going to play the O'Farrell setting only because I played it fast. There's like one note difference in the second part of the tune rather than like there's really no significant differences between O'Farrell's setting from H-06 called Jackson's Welcome Home and Goodman's. So those are basically the the same same tune um but yeah another one that shows up plenty in the 18th century makes me think that uh jackson actually did write it okay let's go on to finally the last tune also a tune i've already played on the podcast before um really one of my favorite jackson tunes ever and i don't know that i have seen it anywhere else um so i call it jackson snack um, yeah, on traditional tune archive, it's a, it's a dead, like it's there, but it doesn't have any other, 
um, you know, concordances or anything like that. Uh, but it's a lovely, just mammoth jig. <laughs> um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, nine part jig. Uh, the variations are pretty whatever, um, but it's a good tune. I've got a set for um, Bannock's with Barley Meal album with it on there. Um, I think. Anyway, I might wind up cutting it. I've got two kind of big Jackson sets for the next album, and um, I'm starting to feel kind of self-conscious about it. Maybe three, actually. Two that are explicitly Jackson sets, and I think there's a third set that has some Jackson tunes in it. Uh, anyway, to finish out the episode a little bit longer than normal, um, we had an episode last week kind of as a... just to check in on the audio quality, and um, so now we're going back to our every other every other week schedule so uh don't expect to hear from me next week but week after next um reminder that if you want to look at the notes for everything that i'm playing uh in the show notes i'll have links so you can look at the archival collections and wherever my sources were um but if you're on a patreon if you're a patreon supporter when i post the episodes over on patreon i post a pdf with all the tunes that i can post legally so um it's a real quick way to get a tune book to kind of accompany every episode in season six so far so anyway thanks for listening thanks for the support everybody and uh thanks for the feedback about the um kind of audio levels i think i've got it sorted but um yeah if it's if there's still something that isn't quite right uh please let me know anyway we'll go out now on jackson snack from canon goodman rounding out the 10th of the um jackson airs tunes in canon goodman's collection here's jackson's snack <laughs>